Specialty Story, session number 133. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I hope you are having an amazing day. I want to thank you for being here, and I want to ask you a favor. Can you share this podcast with a friend, a colleague, classmate, with someone who you think would be interested not only in learning about our specialty today, but about all of the specialties that we have had on this podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Alex Dressler, an anesthesiologist who specializes in pain medicine out in the community. He's been out of training now for one year, and he's got some good insight, uh, especially as a new person, a new physician out in practice and what it's like to build up that practice. We start the conversation by talking about what drew Dr. Dressler to pain medicine and anesthesiology to begin with. So initially, uh, as I did undergrad in Connecticut, and I was doing research at Connecticut Children's, I was pretty sure I was going to do surgery or pediatric surgery, had that going most of the way through uh, through medical school, even did uh, a short uh, a summer thing between first year and second year, convinced I was doing neurosurgery, <laughs> uh, then got to, um, got to my surgical rotation, and I had the chance to do an anesthesia elective, um, knowing very, very little about it. But thinking if I was going to be a surgeon, I might as well know something about the anesthesia side. Uh, and that kind of just won me over. Uh, just I think it's it's a, it's an interesting field. There's so many little subspecialties within it that I would say most people, even people in medicine, probably don't realize there's so many uh, small, intricate niches that you can kind of be a part of. Um, mm. And that was something that really appealed to me. Very cool. And then from the uh, for the pain side, I... I still had that that side of me that enjoyed, you know, some of the operating room procedures and um, and procedures with patients. Uh, so when I I got to that actually during my second year, my PGY two year uh, uh, in anesthesia, and just basically a weekend, I knew that was ultimately going to be a, a big part of my practice moving forward. So I think a lot of students listening to this, when they hear pain management, they think, oh, this is the the issue with our uh, our opioid epidemic, it's just doctors handing out prescriptions for for Oxy and, and Percocet and stuff. What what does a pain management physician do? I think that's that's a a great question, and uh, it my my day varies. I'll have patients where things are more uh, heavily shifted towards procedures. Other days, more shifted towards uh, certain medications. Very rarely. Um, or kind of the opioids or opiate medications, the the first line, first thing that we jump to. Um, there's so many adjuvants, other medications that are useful. Um, a lot of things, a lot of the the typical pain we see is is back pain, neck pain, with pain going to the arms, going to the legs. That's kind of the the bread and butter for for most pain groups. And a lot of times, that's from from nerve irritation uh, close to the spinal cord or further out. So the the pain physician is uh, uh, you know taking the time through physical exam through various tests um, such as EMGs or nerve conduction studies, looking at the MRI um, to kind of find the source of that pain. 
and there's things like uh, like injections can be very useful steroid injections uh, to kind of calm down some of the irritation and inflammation uh, with the nerves and um, I think that's that's often you know people think of it as uh, you know that people just want to do injections but these really work in my my day-to-day practice I have people three to five days after these injections who do uh, who do fantastic. And I think it's just kind of balancing the, some of those procedures with some of the other extra medications um, to kind of improve people's uh, functional status. Those opiates and opioids are useful after traumatic accidents, after uh, surgeries, and you know, extremely useful, obviously, in, in cancer pain, end-of-life cancer pain, but often aren't the answer to, to the, the, most of the, the pain patients that we see. When you were looking at pain management, uh, obviously you're in your anesthesia residency. Were there any other subspecialties that were drawing your interest? Uh, the, the pediatric anesthesia is something that I was interested in, and actually for a brief period thought about doing a, a second fellowship. Um, I think it's you, you really are, are in all of the anesthesia subspecialties. You're you're taking the time and you know. Often seeing people at, you know, they're they're the worst. They're about to have surgery. They just had a really bad accident. Um, I think being able to relate to, you know, being able to get kind of on the kids level uh, at times, and it's a, it's a scary thing to have anesthesia as an adult. It's even scarier to have it uh, as a as a child. And then, you know, being able to deal with both the the child, the pediatric patient, and with the parents during uh, during these difficult times. I think it takes a, a special skill set, and I admire the pediatric anesthesiologists who, who do it every day. Yeah, um, it's something that I, I, I thought I could see myself doing, um, but ultimately, I think it's I, I just had to focus in, in one direction. <laughs> that's good. There's a lot of people these days doing multiple fellowships. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of training. <laughs> yeah, it was it was time for me to get a job. I think. <laughs> yeah, time time to pay back those loans. Yeah. What does a typical day look like for you? Um, on the pain days, I typically see uh, patients between uh, 7.30 um, and about 3.30 or 4. And uh, in the offices I'm, I'm working in now, uh, it's a mix of both office visits and procedure visits. So I'll have um, patients referred by their primary care doctors or by uh, some of the surgeons for, for various pain conditions. Um, and on the same day, uh, I also have patients returning for uh, for procedures, and they may have had to delay their procedure for a number of reasons, for insurance reasons, getting things approved, or if they're on uh, some of the different blood thinners and had to hold them. Uh, and you can see anywhere between 20 and 25 patients um, a day, typically. Uh, and so, some days there are mostly procedures, and because uh, there's less less documentation required with uh, with some of those, and you know you already know the background history. There's less uh, review of imaging and review of their history. On those days, you may see uh, a few more patients if there's more procedure slots. What are some of the biggest misconceptions around pain pain management and pain medicine? Uh, I think two of the things we've we've kind of already hit on that you know that the pain management pain medicine uh, docs are gonna take over every prescription. We have a lot of people show up uh, and just expect that, that, you know, they've been on a certain prescription, they've had certain medications for 20 years that they see us in, um, you know, a, a lot of, uh, some of the community doctors have decided that they may not want, uh, you know, the opioids as part of their practice. 
for, for various reasons, they're just not comfortable managing them at certain levels. Um, you know, they're, they're concerned about legal repercussions about some of, of some of their prescriptions. So they refer them to us. And sometimes there's, uh, I, I think just the, the misconception that we're automatically going to take over some of these prescriptions. And a lot of times the first visit with, with some of these patients is kind of re, readdressing goals, um, and establishing what, what may be their, the new norm. Um, and I think on the flip side of that, there's also the misconceptions, especially in the, you know, within medicine, often from other doctors that the pain medicine doctors just will inject anything and everyone um, for, for financial reasons, which I think is, is, is a very unfortunate misconception. Um, and it's obviously never our, our goal. What percentage of patients that you're seeing in your pain management clinic do you actually end up doing a procedure on, do you think? Um, I mean, I, I think maybe you know, 60 to 75 percent, uh, and that may actually be skewed towards the higher side. Uh, a piece of that is a number of patients that I see uh, have been seen by our team of nurse practitioners uh, prior to seeing me. So sometimes I'll be seeing patients for procedures, but they've already had uh, you know, a full workup and, um, and had some of the medications trialed with, uh, with our team of nurse practitioners who do, who do an amazing job. Yeah. What does the training path look like to get to become a pain management specialist? Uh, so I think pain is one of the interesting things. It truly is a, a multidisciplinary team. Uh, to, to For the pain fellowships, traditionally it is uh, someone coming from anesthesiology, someone from uh, physical medicine rehab, the PM&R pathway. Uh, but there all is also, um, I think that's the, probably the majority, but there is also uh, you know, neurology can go into pain. Um, they're offering a huge resource for us for some of the head and neck pain and headache pain. Um, and psychiatrists also can come into, uh, can go into the pain pathway. Uh, during I've seen, the I've seen some radiologists too. Have you seen radiology? Yeah, I actually, I, so when I interviewed um, at one of the places for fellowship, I was interviewing with a radiology resident and his brother actually was one of the first people to go kind of that radiology to, uh, to pain pathway. Nice. There's a number of musculoskeletal radiologists um, that do some of the similar procedures that uh, that the pain doctors do, because mm-hmm. there is kind of a, a fair amount of crossover there. Um, so often, some of the radiologists who are looking to, um, to kind of either hone their skills or improve their skills on some of the medications or uh, diagnostics uh, will will do a, an extra pain fellowship. And they have they have a different, a slightly different skill set, but obviously add a lot to the the multidisciplinary team. Cool. How competitive is pain? Pain is is probably one of the more uh, competitive fellowships for I think for for a number of reasons. There's the perceived lifestyle. Obviously, you've, when you're going through anesthesia residency, you're on call a lot. You spend a lot of time at the hospital, so the the thought of having, you know, a more typical schedule, I think draws people. Um, and another thing that draws people in is that there's the potential for. Um, a lot of research within pain because a lot of what we do is, uh, or a lot of some of these conditions is still very poorly understood. Mm. Um, and even separate from that, there's a lot of the, the technology side of pain often draws in, uh, in a lot of people. And as the, the neuromodulation technology side is one of the things that really, really drew me to pain the more and more I learned about it. Yeah. All the, all the kids coming up with their tech devices want to play with tech, their career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. What does call look like for you? So uh, right now I am taking, I work, um, I work some of the weekend calls. I'll, I'll, I typically work um, Saturday overnight. The, one of the hospitals that 
I, I am I'm part of a, a private group that covers a number of, uh, of surgical centers, about patient ambulatory surgery centers, as well as um, one of the hospitals here in uh, in Southern New Hampshire. And uh, so I do take in-house uh, trauma call um, for anesthesia, typically on Saturday nights, a, a few times a month. And it's a mix of you know, urgent or emergent cases that have to go during the night, as well as some of the uh, obstetric anesthesia coverage. Do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital? I, d- I definitely think I do. And I think that's one of, that is one of the reasons I chose pain was, you know, allowing balance with family. I have, uh, I have two, two young, uh, twin girls and my, my wife is also a physician here in the, uh, in the New England area. So it's, it's, it's difficult at times for, uh, for us to balance it, but I think pain, uh, and anesthesia were, were, you know, two of the pathways that, that allowed me to still prioritize family. Yeah. Cool. One, once someone is done with their pain fellowship, are there further opportunities to subspecialize? There are typically not in, in, you know, traditional training. Um, but there, uh, there, there are peds pain fellowships. There's a handful of pain pain fellowships, I believe, throughout the country, um, and it's often people doing both pain and pediatric fellowships. Uh, but there, I think within the within the different communities, and especially within the different practices, people will gravitate towards uh, different things. I think everyone does a fair amount of the what what you know what people kind of consider the bread and butter pain, the neck pain, the back pain. Um, but there are people who who do subspecialize in. You know, seek further training in headache medicine, uh, in things like pelvic pain, female pain, um, as well as uh, people who focus a lot on the uh, oncology-related pain. Uh, and it's every, every group is a little different. And, and obviously, the major uh, academic centers often you have people who see certain things because their research interest lines up with that, or just because their personal clinical interest lines up with that. Um, in the the private practice I'm in now, we 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 all kind of enjoy uh, a little bit of everything. So people still see most of uh, we still see most of everything. We're not really uh, you know focusing too much on just one one aspect. Yeah. For the osteopathic medical student listening to this, or resident even listening to this, what obstacles uh, or, or what do they have to do to overcome any sort of negative bias towards the the DO world? Uh, I think it's. It, there's some, there's probably some programs throughout the country that are still very, uh, that still have some bias towards, uh, you know, MD only versus the, the DO pathway, Mm -hmm. you know, training at university of Pittsburgh for both, uh, residency and fellowship, you know, the, the program for both anesthesia and pain had a fair number of, uh, um, of DOs. So there, it wasn't a, in my day-to-day training, wasn't, wasn't a big split for me. Um, everyone was kind of on, on the same level playing field. I think it's, Obviously, looking, um, I actually had gotten that question from uh, from a, a medical student who was apply who was doing an away rotation and was applying for anesthesia, had an interest in pain. Mm-hmm. And my my biggest piece of advice was just you know you can look at the look at the program leadership, look at the attendings uh, uh, within the programs, and just find find some that obviously have valued uh, you know the the different skill sets or have you know allowed or have had, uh, you know, some of the, the DO physicians uh, become leaders within the program. Uh, so I, I think that you can look at, at most of the residencies. Now you can look at all the residents. If, if, if you look at four years of anesthesia residents and there's not a single DO student 
it's obviously, uh, you know, th- that program may not be the place. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's doing, doing some of your research and just finding the places who are open to, you know, just fi- finding the best candidate and not necessarily looking for certain designations. Yeah. What do you wish primary care physicians knew about what you're doing day in and day out to SA pain management specialists to better help you and better help their patients? Um, I think just, you know, there, there's so much more to, to treating pain than, than uh, prescriptions and, uh, you know, having us take over <laughs> prescriptions. Um, I think it's just they, they also may not understand all of the intervention options that we have. Um, I know sometimes that there's that perception that we jump to injections, but some of these injections really work and we're able to target, uh, able to target pain and things, you know, more advanced modalities, things like spinal cord stimulation, peripheral nerve stimulation. Now we're able to put in peripheral nerve stimulators with just ultrasound through, through needle sized holes, um, as well as things like dorsal ganglion stimulation. All of these things are, are great options for people who have dealt with pain for years and years and just haven't been able to get a, to get a hold of it. Um, so I think they just really understand some of the, the different intervention options that have even progressed over the last you know, three to five years that may not have been around when, when they did initial training. What other specialists do you work the closest with? We work a lot with, uh, with the orthopedic surgeons, the ortho spine, uh, doctors, as well as the general orthopedic surgeons, uh, for, for some of the joint pain, uh, a fair, we work a lot with neurosurgery, neurology. Um, the rheumatologists, you know, primary care doctors, um, as well as some of the, uh, the more focused pain things. Uh, you know, we work with the general surgeons, post hernia pain, often post surgical pain. People have, um, can, uh, often can have nerve based, like neuropathic pain after, after, you know, simple surgeries that, that went very well and may have fixed the problem, but they can have incision pain. Um, work with breast surgeons, plastic surgeons. Patients often have pain after after um, both cosmetic procedures as well as post mastectomy for for cancer related pain, um, and definitely the the oncologist uh, malignant related pain, end of life cancer pain is something that's very difficult to treat, um, and I often think it's it's very valuable getting in some of the the pain physicians involved and in getting some of the patients uh, getting some of the, those patients um, really worked up through some different some different pathways and trying to find all the options for them to make them comfortable in the end. Yeah. Is with that mention, do you work a lot with palliative medicine specialists as well? We do. And it's, I think it's a, I have a, a recent patient actually, um, that this is, I think, it, you know, having the three teams all involved and everyone being able to look at things differently. Um, I think it is essential, you know, palliative obviously is looking for, you know, optimizing, creating the best quality of life uh, towards the end, and it and, and sometimes people think palliative medicine can only be uh, you know helpful in those in those last days. I think that's a, another misconception. Yeah, actually, in pain fellowship, we do we spend time with our with the uh, the palliative physicians, understanding better what they can offer. Okay, because they may be some that we have to lean on as well towards uh, towards uh, the end, and you, it can be months, it can be years that they can be involved and. Uh, there's a lot of good studies that show that when palliative uh, medicine is involved, quality of life is significantly improved and also duration of life is improved. Yep. Um, so I think those are things that we often, something that even we as, uh, as pain medicine docs may may not think about getting palliative involved is is really key in some of those patients. Yeah. So you're relatively new out of training. What would you go back and tell yourself before training now, now that you've been out for a little bit? 
I think it's probably just you know look look at the big picture. Don't don't stress out about each and every test. Um, anesthesia is, is one of the specialties where there's a lot of tests you take in. Training exams every year are our written boards had changed to the uh, to taking the first part of your actual written board at the end of PGY two year, an advanced exam at the end of your fourth year, and then uh, we the oral board actually had shifted to an applied exam now. So it's a mix of half day oral board, half day or half the exam. You take a more, a more applied exam, so actually doing ultrasounds, looking at echoes. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes you often you get wrapped up in you know preparing for the next test, preparing for the next test, but Really, I think taking a step back and ensuring that you're getting the most out of each and every patient encounter, learning from each and every patient that you you deal with, because there's so many times when I I see someone now, either on the anesthesia side or the pain side, and I can picture that patient from from residency, and I know how to better treat the patient today. I think sometimes you get too wrapped up in in the the tests, uh, and you kind of lose sight of why you actually wanted to do medicine. Yeah. What do you like the most about being a pain medicine specialist? I think it's, 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 you get not necessarily instant gratification, but you do get, uh, you know, a much, a much quicker result to some of the interventions you do, whether they be medicines or procedures. Uh, I think, you know, having patients call back and, and say that they're, they're doing fantastic and they're, you know, they're walking their dog for the first time. They're, they've gone back to sleeping in the bed with their significant other for the first time because, you know, they weren't able to lay down a bed for six months, a year. Sometimes, um, I think you get that, that that kind of constant feedback, which for me is you know it helps kind of keep pushing me along. Um, you know, there's there's a ton of value in monitoring hemoglobin A1Cs and blood pressures, and you know, I, I my wife is a primary care doctor. I I admire people who can who can stay on top of their patients and really help the, them long term. Um, but I do I, I enjoy the the slightly uh, you know, the, the more, uh, uh, I guess, uh, the gratification that you get from treating someone and seeing the result within, you know, three days, one week, one month, whatever it may be. What do you like the least? Um, I think a lot of it is you, you, you sometimes feel like when you, when you're seeing new patients and they don't necessarily agree with what you you're recommending and you try to go over the, you know, the, the general recommendations for various pain societies or, you know, medication recommendations. And sometimes when you, there's just no seeing kind of eye to eye in the best way um, to continue treatment, you, you almost feel like at times you're, you're disappointing them. And you, you, you obviously want, you want the patients to be happy with your care. You want the patients to be happy with their progress. But sometimes there's just, uh, you, you, you have the occasional patient that you just aren't, you may not be the best physician to take care of them, uh, which, which, you know, it hurts because you, you want, you want to do what's best for them. Um, and sometimes just having them get a second opinion or see, uh, another doctor may be what's best for them just so they may hear the same thing again, or they may get a different opinion that, you know, fits more in line with what they're expecting for, uh, for treatment. Yeah. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of, of pain management? Uh, I think there's it, pain is is an interesting thing that even from you know this this early part of practice from fellowship from residency I think it, it's it's changed significantly. Uh, it's a big thing is obviously guided by what the the insurance companies will and will not approve. Um, 
oftentimes we, we reach a stalemate with some of these insurance companies because you know we will show them the data for the for various procedures um, and we'll show how this this is the perfect person for that procedure based on their pain um, and you spend hours and hours kind of fighting with them on the phone uh, so I think it's it's something that you know each day a procedure that may have been approved by a certain insurance company you know one week one month later they suddenly decide to stop right? then you have to kind of come to the patient and tell them something that's been working for them for months or years uh, is no longer being covered. Uh, so I think that's that's something that's difficult in, the, in just trying to get some of uh, the newer procedures accepted. Um, you know, often it's, it's, it's without a lot of data, it's hard to convince them that something may work. Um, so I think it's, it's just kind of trying to stay up to date with the research and trying to convince the different insurance companies that this is what's best for their patient um, it's, it may not be best for what's the, what may not be best for their bottom line, but maybe what's best for the patient. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just constantly changing some of the options that we have. And you have to, sometimes you have to work with, you have to work with a patient, work with the insurance company to find something that you can do to try to help them. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a pain management doc? I would. I think it's, you know, pain is something that, that, that affects you from the second you wake up to the second you fall asleep, which most, you know, a number of my patients tell me they can't sleep because of the pain. So this is affecting people 24 seven. There's no break from it. Um, and that, you know, there, it really, really affects their quality of life. So any improvement, it, you, you'd be surprised. Sometimes we have people come in and they go from, you know, many people hate these pain skills, but they go from an eight or a nine down to a five or six and at first, you're like, oh, that's not really, that's not, that's not the win, not the home run we were looking for. But, um, but they come in and they're, they're so happy they're crying because now they're able to, like I was saying before, you know, walk their dog, go spend time with their kids or their grandkids. Um, you know, our, our goal is always, if we can get you to, to a, you know, a one or two, a low nagging pain, that's, that, that really, really changes every, every moment of, of, kind of, of your waking day. Uh, and, you know, being able to help people in that way. Um, I think is, is something that pushes me and, you know, allows me to kind of continue every day um, to try to be the best, best doctor I can for them. For the pre-med or medical student or even resident listening to this, thinking about going into a pain medicine fellowship, what words of wisdom do you have for them? I think it's, you know, with, with every step and everyone from everyone who's, who's made it this far, uh, you know, you've, it's, it's, Every step of this is competitive, but just kind of keep keep in mind what what you kind of see as your long term goal. Um, there's going to be you know various speed bumps and roadblocks, but I think if if ultimately you have you have that goal in mind, you'll you'll get there. And you know, certain there there may be a certain test that stays in your way or a certain class that gets in your way, but just kind of persevering through it um, and ultimately finding the the how to kind of get to that end point. You, it may not be the traditional path. It may not be the path that everyone else is taking, but just kind of keep keep on that path and you'll 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 get to the end result that you want. All right. There you have it. Hopefully that was a helpful conversation for you and your journey into the specialty of your choice. If you are new to this podcast, if you are new to all of my podcasts and you are interested in learning more about USMLE step one going pass fail and what that means for you, go back to last week's pre-med years episode, episode 380. You can find it premedyears.com slash 380. 
to hear my thoughts on the change. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.